everybody. Welcome to the Cinema Nerd Presents, the filmography of Charlie Kaufman. My name is Kyle Woods. I'm here with my buddy James as ever, and we will be talking about adaptation. James, before we find out who's victorious in the battle of technology versus horse. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Can you tell me what this movie is or is about? Uh, it's a comedy about the creative process. Nicely said. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into all that and, and so much more. But before we do, anything else on the docket? Yeah, so I watched, um, hadn't seen it. Like I, a lot of these like documentaries and things that people got into, I always didn't watch at the same time. So uh, Searching for Sugar Man. Oh, sure. You see, yeah. You see that one? Yeah, yeah just watched it. I remember liking it a lot. Yeah, it's really, it's really neat. <laughs> I really liked it. I really like, um, like. I like the song a lot. Silver yeah. ships go sailing, sweet Mary Jane, or something like that. Yeah. It pops up in my head every like three weeks yeah. or so. Oh, it's, Sugar he's a, man. Yeah, he's a very good musician. And I like that everyone involved in it was like, he was so good but we couldn't sell him because his name was Rodriguez <laughs> or, or something like they couldn't really work out why he didn't sell, but they didn't sell any, even though it was beautiful music, well-produced, like some of the big names like Motown producers and stuff like people, the right people found him. Sure. And I think that, well, I mean, it speaks to the nature of documentary. It also speaks to the nature of the music industry and just kind of generally pop culture. So like my understanding is that, although, I mean, I really like the film a lot, but the story is very narrowly told and his, in addition yeah. to his success in like South Africa, right? He yeah. probably had some other success around the world and at that time and has popped up and, his story is kind of not unique that way, where a lot of artists sort of cycle through cultural movements at moments in time, right? And yeah. so just to speak to that very briefly, when I was in Cameroon in like 2000 and the early 2010s, like, you know, 10-ish years ago, they had just picked up on Celine Dion as a major cultural force. <laughs> and the day starts really early there, like really early, like 4 or 5 a.m. early. Oh, yeah, yeah. With loud-ass music. So I would wake up to, like, Celine Dion's greatest hits for months, <laughs> man. And it, it was everywhere around. So he's oh, kind cool. of had a kind of an up and down with that. But even if he hadn't, he's one of so many people, like, do you remember, well, maybe you won't, because this is a uniquely American thing, but there was vitamin C, do you remember? Oh, the, yeah, I know, vitamin C, and she, so yeah, yeah. She had one hit, basically, Sugar Man, he's, like, not a one-hit wonder, but kind of, like, a, a never quite bubbled over, you know what I mean? Yeah. He was in the mix, yeah. he was making records, he yeah. sold a bunch of records. He just didn't become a pop culture sensation the way that the Rolling Stones did. And maybe it is because his name was Rodriguez. And that, that's an interesting facet to explore. And I'm not diminishing that, but I think it's really interesting how many okay. people yeah. are just kind of like in, in the scene and not the megastars, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's an odd, it's an odd thing to have 
like the right people paying the money making the cds and then they just didn't get sold but i guess it happens all the time i just you know like seeing it seeing it, it up front you're like time. It's the model of the creative product there's you know for every I don't know, uh, Godfather. No, let's say let's say Heat. Oh, for every every God for every Heat, there's a Boondock Saints, and both of those get remembered. But you never heard of Two Guns. I mean, maybe you have. I kind of like Two Guns, but that's not nobody's going to talk about that movie in a hundred years. We'll be talking yeah. about Heat. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's all, it's all good. Yeah. I I mean, okay. So uh, the only other movie I watched is crazy what'd you watch the, the crease the greasy strangler what? <laughs> <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like uh yeah i don't actually know how to describe this film and to as a as a like um as a note here i haven't finished it <laughs> because i'm watching it in small takes um because it's got a lot of gross out in it and the acting is incredibly poor and the writing the writing is contending for the room you know like yeah like, i can't wait to see this um but what are you doing to yourself but, and why but there's something really enduring about it and i found myself quoting it <laughs> so uh fair enough yeah. i mean love what you love i'm curious to see how it finishes <laughs> for you yeah okay wrangler that's like yeah. uh, i'm not going there anyways that's a disgusting title full of disgusting okay. opportunities for disgusting humor yeah okay so sorry the only other thing that i watched because i i have it's been a while so i have actually watched another film since then and i absolutely love it it's called the wedding singer with adam sandler sure have you I seen that? that one, man? No, I, well, I mean, not in a long, well, not in a long, long time, but it's been a while. Yeah, it's a classic. I like The Wedding Singer. I'll defend that movie. I'll defend that movie. And I didn't know I liked it so much until I watched it again and was like, oh, I actually love this film. Like, there's something. I got a pet theory, which is that Drew Barrymore is largely responsible for Adam Sandler's career because their chemistry together is really good. And all the movies that they're in together are among his best movies that are still considered Adam Sandler movies and not like a Paul Thomas yeah. Anderson movie or the Safdie brothers or whatever, you know, the yeah. 51st dates. And um, what's the other one she's in aside from the wedding singer. Anyways, they're good, good movies and they're Adam Sandler yeah. movies for sure. Yeah. I was about to say 51st dates is looking shiny on my border now like i'm like oh i'm gonna go watch that one again because i think i might be needing to see it again like it's totally yeah. worth watching because yeah again, because of their chemistry and because of the actors that show up i also just watched just go with it and you're like the cast here is incredible and so 51st <laughs> dates has that going for it too like sean astin is in that movie and i forget who the father is but you know he's a lovable character actor who you will know and recognize yeah um, how about you what have you been up to what have you been watching man only horror movies it's october so i'm i'm only <laughs> yeah. watching horror movies right now well um, have i got a horror movie for you to watch it's called the greasy stangler <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a like a sense repulsion to that movie yeah you, you should yeah, anyway. i guess speaking of greasy 
<laughs> I watched uh, <laughs> House of Wax this afternoon, the 2005 version. Oh, I don't know it. It uh, features Paris Hilton, but <laughs> also <laughs> Alicia Cuthbert and uh, Chad Michael Murray, who was a kind of teen star in America, like a CW network star. And uh, yeah, it's, good it's good, man. I think it's like kind of fucking awesome. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm not going to say too much about it other than like it's full of big set pieces. The, the acting's pretty pitch perfect. They're okay. like all of the performers are solid, solid performers that maybe get a little uh, leaned on as, as teen. And then there's Paris Hilton, who's perfectly <laughs> cast, if not giving a decent performance. You know what I mean? Maybe, you know... I, I, she's perfectly cast i'll say that much yeah and uh it's it's a lot of fun and scary and gross but uh propulsive and interesting and and totally worth watching i actually had a really good time with it i'm glad i caught up with it and in the same vein it was a, it's a rewatch i try and watch this one like every couple of years around halloween time is arachnophobia oh man that i mean that's that's 80s, right? Yeah, uh, it's like 89 or 91, you know, kind of right in that territory. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. I, I mean, I've not seen that since I was a kid. But well, it's, it, 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 it? it's a blast, man. That movie rules. It's kind of, it's an Amblin uh, film, so it has that energy to it. So like the first, you know, I don't know, 10-ish minutes are... Uh, like an, an excursion into the depths of nature and that's how the spider gets into our experience and then <laughs> John Goodman shows up as an exterminator and it's I don't know whatever that movie's perfect I love it a lot I don't remember much about it at all so yeah I'll have to if you're looking for like a, a kind of a crowd-pleasing fun you know not not too heavy not too silly mm -hmm really striking a balance on that yeah it's it's a lot of fun man and then the last one i'll talk about because i watch you know going throughout my day i will put on the franchises in october the big horror franchises oh, yeah. so i've been making yeah. my way through them um i'll talk about here the nightmare on elm street series have you been watching them yeah, well, I watched all eight of them, however many there are recently. Yeah, I've been through all of them. Because I also, I just finished the uh, Friday the 13th series and used Freddy vs. Jason as the bridge to get into Nightmare vs. Elm Street, or Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street. Yeah. And uh, I love those movies. I think yeah. I love every single one of them. The new one, you know, the 2010 sort of reimagining, you know, spat oh, of remakes they did. It, yeah, it's not um it sucks because it's like freddie is now supposed to be just terrifying and not at all funny you know uh, it has the like the bong sound effect every 35 seconds and so the the newest entry is uh skippable but everyone up until that is awesome because a lot of them are west craven movies and then patricia arquette shows up and then Rennie Harlan directs one of them and then they're still yeah. talking about dreams and like the there's this inherent nature of the villain right so I haven't fully unpacked this but I in Freddy versus Jason 
I'm way Freddy. I'm not a big fan of the Friday the 13th movies, man. And I think it's because Jason has like an inverse Superman problem. He's unkillable. He's an uninteresting force. And that's fine, you know, for a slasher movie, that's truly fine. But then the characters around have to be really interesting and the kills have to be really interesting. And by the time Jason's fully formed, the series is off the rails and the kills don't become like fun and interesting until blah, 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 blah. So Freddy fucking rules, man. Those movies like just strike the perfect balance between really, really hilarious and really, really scary. And the set pieces are incredible. The music's great. The performances are awesome. I even new nightmare which is the last one that Wes Craven is involved in in like 94 or something it's really you can see why Scream became what it became because new nightmare is about Wes Craven trying to make a Freddy movie that comes to life (laughs) so Wes Craven's in the movie and so are all like Robert Englund is in the movie and so is Freddy. And you know what I mean? It's yeah. It's awesome. It bit, I, I love it. It's a bit Kaufman-esque. Is that What's what you're that? trying to say? It gets a bit Kaufman-esque. Is that what you're trying to say here? Buddy, that's the right way to get us into adaptation. Let's talk about it. Uh so just on the out in the front out the front door, like I was like rolling with laughter multiple times in this film. Like this film is a comedy. Like Without a doubt, like it's very funny. Like it's so good that he he like writes in a twin brother, and the twin brother, like you say, is like he he goes to a seminar, and then he's like, "I'm going to do screenwriting," and then he writes <laughs> the most inane screenwriting like screenplay you've ever seen, and then he instantly gets offered one point five million dollars for it. Okay, I got a lot to say about Donald. Uh, I love it and he it it it, it, oh my god okay I have so much to say my words won't even work because he's everything he's kind of the key to this movie for me which is a movie that I've always loved but his being able to sell the dumbest script in the world is a comment on Hollywood right but Donald's presence in this movie is more than commentary he's an archetypical fool like he is always right he never makes a bad move with his script as dumb as it is he also has always the right advice for charlie at exactly the right moment that guides him into this story that we're telling and yet he doesn't know like what's the What's the Ouroboros? I've never, I don't know that word. Or what's the, what's the hours for Algernon? When he's like, yeah. oh, sorry, I've never seen it. Like one second after Charlie tells him it's not a movie. <laughs> I, it's so goddamn perfect. But he's I, super likable. Stop ranting, go ahead. Yeah, no, but he's super likable. Uh, he, he's everything that Charlie wants to be in this, um, like, like talking to people but also totally. like the movie kind of writes that in because he's trying to find who to write the story about and he's writing it about he's writing it about susan and then he's writing it about himself and then in the end 
he kind of writes it about his brother because he lost his brother. <laughs> but you know, like it, it's it's an like an amazing film, really. Like, but it's so funny because it's do about the know, kind of. Sorry, do you know much about Donald in real life? Is this a because I stayed away from looking at it. I just kind of wanted to read the text. Does he have think, a twin brother? No, no. I think he just completely wrote uh, basically the same premise as Donald's story, where it's he's splitting himself into two right. characters right. and and using broken mirrors as a way to. <laughs> yeah. um, oh my god! I like I, that's how I read it. Anyway, I don't. I haven't looked into it. No, but, I mean um, that's how I read it. Also, I, like yeah. I said, I think the the classical fool is the inf the biggest influence, but the fact that he's literally writing Charlie's story for him and Charlie's just like, ah, fuck you. You, you don't get this thing. Yeah. Um, I, I think you said it kind of in our intro that what, it's a comedy that, what, how did you put it? It's about the creative process. It's just like, it's basically like all of those things that we go through where you're trying to come up with the idea and then you just, you're stuck and then you start writing in from the wrong angle and then you're like you're focusing on different bits totally false start you're, you're saying you're saying i'm never gonna put a car chase in and then the third act is almost entirely like in the cars and in the like there's guns and the swamp and there's alligators and like you know like <laughs> i mean there's a reason that robert mckee is in this movie because I, I think it's very much about the creative process in general, but I think the reason that I'm so excited about it and the reason that I, I love it so much is because it's about movies specifically. Yes. It's not even necessarily about filmmaking. It's about the storytelling through movies, you know? And so yeah. that's why when Charlie starts the meeting, he's like, oh, it's full of that rambling New Yorker stuff that doesn't go anywhere. And we just love it. It's so ethereal and lifelike. And by the end, he's like, there's, there's no plot here. It's just rambling New Yorker bullshit. What yeah. is the story of this thing? Exactly. And he pulls off the rare trick of like telling us upfront from the very beginning, what the story is going to be. As you mentioned, he, by denying it, I, I'm not going to do a thriller. It can't be a car chase. It's not going to be about drug running. It has to be about yeah. life and the nature of how we get into these things. And then we end with the car chase and the drug smuggling and all of yeah. those things. And he also <laughs> stops in the middle to remind us that this is where we're going. And the whole way along, he's talking about his absent mother, who's really good at structure. Maybe we should ask her. And none of it feels like it's smacking you in the face. It just, no, yeah. wow, it has a no, incredible you, even when he's Even when he's digressing, like, honestly, crazy levels of thing, they, it's rooted in, like, human emotions. Like, you can kind of picture how he's getting there. Like, you know, his, his oh, hopelessness. Buddy. Like, Especially with the, like, the very first monologue, the opening voiceover that he has. Yeah. It goes a little more neurotic than I tend by the <laughs> yeah. end, but there's some stuff that I'm like, I need to pause this movie for 30 seconds and just take a deep breath and like remember yeah. that I'm a human being in the world. Okay, go, because he really puts his finger down on some stuff that is... Yeah, of course, because he's, he's really good at that, like just human bits. And Absolutely. Like the, the anxieties and the the like 
the bits that we worry about. And I don't know, man, like it was, it's, it's strong. And I love the, like the, just the story goes from like, I want to write a book about flowers, just flowers. No, nothing happens. No one changes, nothing, you know? And, and then as it goes on, like, um, he ends up writing himself into the story, like in, in the screenplay. But then because he starts investigating the screenplay, he writes himself into the story in real life. <laughs> and then, you know, like, uh, yeah, and well, and that's kind of the key to it. Like you, he, this <laughs> spiral, right. And we see yeah. this spiral played out a few different times where he's like shouting into his tape recorder and then playing it back to himself. And we, as audience members are going, that can't be, that there's no way to, what is this movie that you're describing? It's all of human history. That's not a movie. And again, that's where Donald pops in. But yeah. he draws it all. I don't know. I don't even know how to finish that thought because I'm like trying to follow his spiral around back to what this creation is. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I think the cast is amazing. Like you've got like Tilda Swindon, Swinton and just like a, a part like a she just kind of shows up for a few scenes but it's Tilda and then you got Meryl Streep and like I like Chris Cooper like John LaRoche um I think I he, want to talk about Chris Cooper for a second because I what do you think about him here let me look something up while you tell me about his performance oh I thought he did a great job but I I don't know his other movies much but I I, I looked him up because I thought that that character is so believable like for me like the you know you meet those people the eccentric people who um just get so into it like you know on the on the spectrum kind of just get into a, a thing and uh he's yeah. okay i mean he nails the characterization of the the deep deep um fascination right that yeah. we're into because it does seem like a character foible but when we find out where those things come from he's very much distracting himself from the yeah. crushing weight of his amazing. experience like because what an amazing character arc because you're kind of like oh ho, ho, you know he's just a bit special and gets involved in stuff and then as you follow along you're like oh fuck okay he's just wanting non-living things or non-important things to focus on because his entire world just collapsed and it kind of feels like his fault, you know, like he right. got the guilt on it. Yeah. So, so then he doesn't fix his teeth, you know, like they comment about it, the, the New York style commentary people, you know, oh, why doesn't he just fix those teeth? Oh. And then you kind of see why, and you're like, oh, he's reminding himself daily about what he's lost and what his life was. And, that's fucking strong, man. Um, I, I mean, I've, exactly. So he's externalizing that trauma, but refusing to internalize it. Or maybe he's internalized it so deeply that he is, like you say, willing to just wear it out. And whatever is driving his motivation, his performance is so, so incredible. And I'm, uh, the, I was stalling for time because I wanted to confirm that he did win the Oscar that year in a year oh. where they got it right. I mean, yeah. he really, really... Yeah, because it, it blew me away. And um, yeah, it was so cool. 
he was up against Ed Harris in the Hours, Paul Newman in Road to Perdition, John C. Riley in Chicago, and Christopher Walken in Catch Me If You Can. And John C. Riley deserves a goddamn Oscar, but maybe not for Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, I love the cast. I mean, I, I have a big thing for Maggie Gyllenhaal, so it's so cool to just see her. She's fun here. I yeah, love to see Catherine Keener show back up. It was like, I, cause I was so infatuated with her and being John Malkovich that like yeah. seeing her, like Kaufman's infatuation here. I don't yeah. know. The movie might've been made from like exactly it for me. It's quite amazing to watch them in order considering that he, he does callbacks to his previous films in the right. first half. So it's like watching you know, watching this film and then seeing them kind of reenact making the first film. Yeah, totally. So... <laughs> I mean, and that's, we're back on the Ouroboros. Yeah, um, exactly. Before we get there, the cat, just to round out some of the cast talk, I really like Ron Livingston a lot. And I think his energy is kind of perfectly applied here because he's, I, like yeah. I said, I like him a lot. Um, I was talking to Megs the other day because we watched, oh, um, oh, we've been watching Sex in the City and he shows up for a short arc. And okay. Megs does not like him at all. And I'm like, but Office Space, he's the best <laughs> actor in the history of acting. So that's all there is to that conversation. Yeah. Well, but I think his, his argument, obviously. <laughs> case and point. Yeah. But I think the thing is, he's so smarmy, you know what I mean? Like preppy and, and slimy. So that's really well applied here, man. It was perfect because he's exactly like 10 people I've met in Hollywood. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. like, so not, not necessarily like, you not, not that I knew well, but just, you know, you meet those people on a, on a film shoot and you're like, Oh man, like, gross. <laughs> and, and then love the fact that he loved Donald's screenplay and he got it op optioned for 1.45 million. It's exactly it. It's just like, there's oh, no integrity. Everyone's just, like oh that's perfect <laughs> like what an amazing screenplay <laughs> and I, I, mean, I loved it i i love it too but that does point to uh, the thing that this movie is doing and the thing that this movie is about and the thing that this movie is movie is movie is movie and so the screenplay donald's donald's a good writer he's writing yeah. a dumb movie but he's yeah. a good writer and i i was just singing the praises of the Specifically, I really like the Dream Warrior trilogy within Nightmare on Elm Street. Those yeah. movies are kind of dumb, but they're, yeah. I mean. But there's a place, there's a place for dumb. I'm just saying like, if there's a, there's a, there's an understanding what you're making and what you're selling. And I don't think that Ron, Ron's character, I don't think there was any like, oh, that's, that, that's a brilliant kind of, straight up story i think he honestly well, I, like i think he's like that's so deep <laughs> but uh, maybe not no no i think he is that's what i mean by by donald being the archetypical fool he has no sense of what he's actually doing the creation that he bore is it happens through him not of him he yeah. just maybe benefits from being around charlie you know and being in this environment and you know whoever their mother is that they keep alluding to who's so good with structure but he's <laughs> he's pure he's an innocent he's not tainted by the understanding of how evil and like corrupt 
the industry is and what he's doing within it. He's just a storyteller trying to have fun. And that's the thing. It's one of the things at the heart of this movie, which is Charlie trying to figure out how a sprawling, like not necessarily story sort of event and theme coalesces into a movie. And that's why Robert McKee has to come in here. Robert McKee is the deus ex machina who exactly, warns yeah. us not to be like in this movie, right? Yeah, exactly. He says, do not, do not put a deus ex machina in, in the exact scene where he is the deus ex machina. Like right. he, he, he's explaining what he is. <laughs> like, it's quite uh, like, but all of these kind of things are very like, and along the way, we learn from him that we have to figure out our genre, but Charlie Kaufman takes it a little further and reminds us that uh, Robert McKee's favorite script is Casablanca, which succeeds because it blends genres or kind of ignores traditional genre rules, at least, to yeah. make us feel a, a tone, you know? And boy, does this thing do all of that. But it, it definitely, like because it's one of those things like it is a film circle jerk where if you know <laughs> film literally three times in this movie he's <laughs> just actually masturbating because this story is masturbatory and yeah, exactly. He, exactly in oh, so uh, many movies that are about movies and movies that are about writing and movies that are about the creative process which is oh, like a, the worst you know like it's it's like the car versus horse chase it's it's the cliche of a film about filmmaking and how clever it is and how clever everyone involved in making films is clever you know? right. <laughs> but he, he does it completely on the nose and then and then calls himself out on it like 10 times while he's doing it but then still doubles down and does it more and um, I just, uses it uh, to expand and progress. It, unreal. Charlie Kaufman's mum is played by the the actress that was Puff's mum in Human Nature. No shit. <laughs> uh, while we're doing cash shoutouts, I just wanted to mention Gr Judy Greer is in this damn. Oh yeah. Movie. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I I know her from Arrested Development, but very little else. Uh, like. Oh, um, Jawbreaker, right? Or am I? Is it Mean Girls? No, it's Jawbreaker, right? I don't know. I mean, I'd have to pull up her actual filmography right now just to call out some titles. But she's always one of my favorites. She's one of those ones that, like, you point to her when she shows up on screen and say her name because you're just happy that she's there. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. She shows up in Three Kings. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I've seen Three Kings, I just don't reckon, yeah. She was in The Village. The TV set, have you seen the TV set? No. That's a cool yeah. movie, check that one out. I will. Yeah, oh, Jeff Who Lives at Home, which I don't, I mean, it, Jeff Who Lives at Home is a movie that I love everybody in, but I don't love. <laughs> right. She was in uh, the, one of the, oh, she was in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Oh yes, I do remember that. Yeah, because I've worked on that one. <laughs> so, well, fair enough. Then you've definitely seen her face. And then you know, one of every episode of television that is a comedy show. I, I, had, this, I had this thought that I'm having now about what what was she in? 
other than Arrested Development on set at on Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Because I was like, oh, I like that. I like Judy. But what's, what's she been in? And like, I, I can't think of anything. But like, yeah, like there's a huge list. I just, I, I had the the thought kind of loop on me. <laughs> so I didn't Yeah, again. fair enough. You're like, oh man, what else did I see her in real life? Mm, yes. My own personal experiences. Uh, but yeah, I, I love this film, but I love this film in a way that I love films and the film is about like <laughs> films. And so it's, it's, well, like, it's not a film, it's, a, it's like about film or something. I don't know, yeah. And it's, it is, it's, it's one of those things that it, it's for me the highest achievement in writing, which is a thing that satires the thing while succeeding as the thing it is satiring and satirizing and you know there's a few other entries that we could run down that do this but you know maybe who framed roger rabbit uh, to name a classic um back to the future 2 to name another robert zemeckis film i guess but uh it it just is so reverent and knowledgeable and interested in movies and it succeeds in a way that only movies can one of the things that stood out to me on this most recent view was the power of the sound design so he does voiceover right breaks the cardinal rule of screenwriting gives us just sound on black screen that's not cinema yeah but then the way that he breaks that rule purposefully and expands on it is like Meryl Streep taking the drugs and getting into the sound of the dial tone. And there's a few other things like that. But the, the, like, like the ding, ding, ding of the car's open door in the final act is yeah. so tense. And it reminds me of the, the beeping of the um, transponder in No Country for Old Men in like, oh, yeah. it's like the middle of the second act. But it, it's just using a little bit of sound and remember where that visual came from so that now when we're somewhere else, that sound happens, we know to respond to it. It's really, really sharp writing, great directing, and it's a kind of thing that you can only pull off in cinema among a number of the other stunts and sort of lucidation with characters and time and place that prevent this from story from being told in any other medium. It's, I mean, it's honestly, I don't know how I don't know how the story was told. Like, honestly, he's a master of getting this to actually function. I think Spike Spike Jones. Uh, I don't know he how he kept credit and kept the edit because this thing should have spiraled out of control fourteen times. Like but somehow he kept you on board and kept the story rolling. Also, just, just shouting out with the cast, like, well, we never once commented about Nicolas Cage, and Nicolas Cage did an amazing job on this one. Like, Let's talk Cage for a second, because this thing has been ringing in my ears since I'm a fan of the Blank Check podcast, and Griffin Newman described Nicolas Cage's acting as impressionistic in that he is not trying to portray human behavior and he's often criticized for being like a wild crazy man that no person ever acts like this and his response is i'm not trying to act the way people act i'm trying to act the way people feel 
I want to personify an emotion, not imitate a behavior. Yeah. And I think that's like just such a brilliant way to approach the craft and unique and novel. And he's much more grounded here because he demands it. But even in what's being grounded here, it's such an insane performance. And it takes an actor like Nicolas Cage, who has an expansive understanding of what the art is to do a thing like this. Yeah, because I mean, it, he imbues the the anxiety and the like the self-loathing like but it's just like in 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 body like he just you can see it like when he's just standing there like in posture yeah the posture and like all of these things you know because you yeah like it's a i think he did an amazing job with that film um and i i like a lot of nicholas cage films but in the same way like some when he went into his like like overdrive and started making like six films a year i was probably in my happiest place because <laughs> like dude i'm really looking forward to this like what is it called jujitsu or yeah. man uh nicholas cage was robbed for this oscar by adrian brody what a jerk Right. Yeah, that's crazy. Other, uh, otherwise, it would have been Michael Caine for The Quiet American, which is a movie that nobody remembers, but yeah. um, my wife is actually a really big fan of. And okay. Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis would have won in Gangs of New York, right? But <laughs> Jack Nicholson in About Schmidt? That's crazy. Stop with yourself, Academy. Yeah. 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 Um, um, I got a few more notes. I just wanted to, like... We haven't really brushed on the title of the movie, even though we've kind of talked all around it, like the the fact that it's about filmmaking and the the notion that this is an adaptation of a story is thematically, and he says it up front because he's telling us in such whatever, um, I guess I gotta set up the themes, but it's so resonant the entire way, the fact that I, you know, Meryl Streep literally says it at the end of the movie. Again, people are forced into it. Nobody decides to adapt. It's not a, that's, that's just change. That's growth. You know what I mean? And we uh, end with the flowers. I'm just kind of ranting and raving because if I could express myself the way that Charlie Kaufman expresses himself, I wouldn't have a podcast. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a, the adaptation uh, yeah, I love, I love the, when she's at the back of the, she wants to go back, you know, when she's kind of. Yeah, I want to be new. I want to be f a baby again. I just want, yeah. yeah. But you get that feeling, right? Like that life has changed and you changed with it. And then sometimes you just catch yourself thinking, ah, like <laughs> what happened? Like. Um, well, that's Chris Cooper's whole arc. You know what I mean? He's yeah. very actively adap adapting to his trauma. Meryl Streep is, you know, really keeping it away. Charlie is a, is sort of uh, responding to the story stimulus. Even Donald is adapting, right? Because where he starts is like, oh, I'm just laying out on the couch, but I promise I got something that's going to work this time. It's not a get get rich quick scheme. I'm, yeah. I'm really doing something. Yeah. 
I don't know, man. I'm I'm just gonna say more good things about this movie. Oh yeah, I thoroughly enjoy it. Thoroughly enjoyed watching it. Um, uh, no, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's it's a, it is a circle jerk, and if I guess if you're not into film and you don't kind of uh, if you don't kind of find the comedy in all of this, because if if you're not like oh man, like all of these tropes and things that he's putting in and then talking about tropes at the same time. I, I can wonder, see you kind of get like, lost in the film, but I fucking love it. Yeah. I, I, maybe this is wishful thinking, but I, I believe that it succeeds beyond that. I think that it's really interesting because it's, it's very funny. It's hilarious through the first half. So even if you're not really knowing what this is, just kind of watching weirdo Hollywood types be weird. Yeah. There's a lot of movies that succeed just on that, you know? I actually, the comedy though, like I love that he's like uh, explaining to his publicist or, you know, his, his a agent. He's like, I just want to make a film about the, you know, the, the splendor and beauty of flowers or like how special they are. And then the agent's like, are they special? And he's like, ah. I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> like, it just, you know, I thought that was so funny. <laughs> it's like all grandiose, this big kind of like, you know, mo like moment. And then he goes, is it? And he's like, oh, I don't really know. Put <laughs> all that into flowers. Someone's calling me on my bullshit. I just have all yeah. these things I need to express inside of me and flowers might be a way to do it. Exactly. Damn, is that why I took this job? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it uh, speaks to me. It speaks to you. I hope it speaks to the worldwide. I, it's one of the great films, and thanks for chatting about it with me today. No worries. That was good fun.